Hi there, this is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners. Welcome to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast series, where we feature leading practitioners and thinkers across connected industry and the broader technology landscape. Welcome, everybody, to the Momenta Edge podcast. We're kicking off uh, this episode with uh, actually one of my favorite thinkers and writers, Tony Seba. Uh, this is Ed McGuire. I'm Insights Partner at uh, at Momenta. And Tony and I have known each other for, for a few years now. I first discovered his work when a friend of ours, mutual friend, had had raved about his book, Clean Disruption of Energy and Transportation, uh, which he published in 2014. And when I read it, I was uh, so uh, moved by the compelling argument that he made that was based in in a lot of data and an enormous amount of background research that uh, uh, that I reached out to Tony and we ended up uh, working together to, to help bring his message to uh, to a number of people in the investment community and Last year, Tony, uh, who's the co-founder of RethinkX, uh, published uh, another piece uh, out of the RethinkX uh, uh, think tank with his partner, James Arbib, uh, all about the coming transportation disruption. So uh, what we'll do in the podcast is to, is Tony, for, to have Tony provide some, some background, some context around some of his work, uh, and then uh, we'll, dive, we'll dive right into it. So Tony, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Ed, thanks for having me. And uh, I'm gonna second what you said, that uh, you were truly one of the first uh, uh, really big influentials who discovered the clean disruption and really understood uh, the disruptive power of um, energy and transportation and so on. So I thank you for that. It's such a pleasure to, to be here. Terrific. Well, what I'd like to ask is, is I guess before we uh, before we dive into the the thesis around around clean disruption, just to provide a bit of context of your background and how your experience had led you to focus on uh, disruptive and exponential technologies. Yeah. So um, I have an undergraduate degree in computer science uh, from MIT. I did my MBA at Stanford and. While I was uh, at Stanford, I started working for a then little company called Cisco Systems. Um, so I was an early employee and we were talking about um, essentially this internet thing being all over a billion hosts and so on. And, and folks did not, did not understand how large that was going to be, but we did. Um, and the reason we did was that uh, the costs of the technology were coming down exponentially and also the, the, the linked to that, the market was growing exponentially also. And if you, um, and, and so we saw the power of the internet and, and I made some predictions back then, this is in, the, in, in 1994 uh, or so, that by 2010, there would be about a billion web hosts, uh, internet hosts. Um, and um, I was within a couple of years of, of that happening. Um, then I joined another startup company called uh, RSA Data Security, which is which ended up putting the encryption 
in essentially uh, all servers and browsers uh, and all internet connected devices at the time. And so I've been in many uh, disruptive companies. I started my own couple of companies and so on. Um, after that, um, I actually decided to take a couple of years off and go and teach, uh, essentially do one of the things that I've been wanting to do for a long time. And I thought I would take two years off um, and teach and write a book. And 12 years later, I had written three books and um, I was still teaching. Um, and so I found that um, that side of the equation, the thinking part was something that I enjoyed. Uh, the synthesis, synthesizing the world was something that I enjoyed very much. And I made my work disruption. So essentially coming from technology and coming from the business angle, um, I started thinking about disruption very early. And I uh, discovered that the uh, disruption concepts at the time did not really explain everything. They did not explain uh, the smartphone disruption, for instance, they did not explain Uber, uh, ride hailing, for instance, and so on. Um, so essentially, I discovered that it was incomplete, and I set out to build a new framework for disruption that incorporated all the elements that I had um, learned about throughout my career. And so what I came up with was something that I call the CBAT technology disruption framework, um, which essentially says that disruptions happen, technology disruptions happen because of a um, combination. Uh, so a convergence of technology cost curves of business model innovation and product innovation, all of which are enabled by, by this convergence of technologies. And there are several ways to disrupt. You could, traditionally we thought of it as disruption from below, but I also discovered that there was a disruption from above and some other folks discovered um, big bang disruption and, and um, you know disruption from the edge and so on. Uh, and I put this together and then I wrote Clean Disruption. And Clean Disruption was a way for me to prove or disprove that this uh, framework worked. Um, and essentially what I forecast, as you know, in Clean Disruption, was that um, uh, there were four technologies in one business model. So solar, batteries, electric vehicles, uh, autonomous vehicles, uh, and ride hailing that were disruptive in their own way, but combined would um, disrupt all of energy and transportation, that the disruption would be over by about 2030. Um, essentially, by 2030, it would be all batteries, all solar, all electric vehicles and self-driving and car sharing and so on. And this is four years ago. At the time, it was, um, pretty um, radical, if you will. Uh, but what it did was reframe the energy and transportation industries uh, and reframe the whole narrative 
that making this transition to clean energy and transportation was going to be multi-decades and expensive and so on and turn it into, well, actually this is going to happen. This is going to happen pretty quickly. This is going to happen for purely economic reasons. And it's going to happen, um, you know, and we're on the cusp of these disruptions. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's, of course, how you and I met four years ago. And the, the predictions that I made at the time, which uh, some thought were um, pretty insane, are essentially on the money. And some of them um, actually are, are a little conservative with, with what's going on today. So um, after that, I decided to start a think tank called Rethink X, uh, because it turns out that my disruption framework does work. And it does work not just for energy and transportation, but also across the board. Um, one of my hypotheses was that um, every single industry, bar none, every single industry is going to be disrupted by uh, this combination of technologies and business model innovation and product innovation. Um, and the decade of the 2020s is going to be the most disruptive decade in history, in history, because everything will be disrupted and it's all going to happen at the same time. And what I found through clean disruption was that a lot of our leaders, uh, whether it's business leaders or investors or uh, policymakers, were not ready. Uh, we're not uh, thinking in this way. So that's why I started Re, uh, Rethink X, which essentially it's an independent uh, think tank that analyzes and forecasts the speed and scale of all disruptions. And uh, our first report was called Rethinking Transportation, which came out last May, uh, which was in a way clean disruption 2.0 for mm -hmm. transportation. And we made the, 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 the prediction that um, it was the convergence of autonomous electric and uh, on-demand transportation that would disrupt all of transportation. Uh, and the tipping point was going to be 2021. Essentially, um, on the day that um, autonomous vehicles, level four autonomous vehicles were approved and ready, which we assume uh, will be 2021, uh, the cost per mile of transportation will be one-tenth 10x cheaper than the cost of owning a car. So mm -hmm. essentially, um, uh, this is going to disrupt two things. Um, the, the concept of individual car ownership is going to go away because 10x has always enabled a disruption, meaning a 10x difference in cost for a similar product service has always, every single time in history, caused a disruption. And also, this is going to um, cause the disruption of the internal combustion engine industry. So uh, people are going to stop buying cars altogether and they're going to stop and anybody's going to stop buying uh, gasoline and diesel cars and trucks and so on and so forth. And of course, this has implications throughout the value chain for the oil industry. And that is going to happen even more quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and because 
uh, as you know, in, in the oil industry. Uh, so we forecast that there's that the demand for oil is going to peak around 2020 uh, at about 100 million barrels per day. And it's going to go down to about 70 million in 2030 based purely on the car market. I mean, th this doesn't include all forms of transportation. Um, but uh, the price is going to collapse immediately. And that's because in oil markets, all you need is a two or three million barrel oversupply for prices to collapse. And we learned that in 2014, 2015, when oil came down from 111 to 29. Um, and we see that um, there is going to be that um, two, three million barrel oversupply by about 2021, maybe 2022. So prices are going to collapse to the equilibrium is going to be as soon as 2021 or two, um, but there will be this equilibrium. So who knows how, what the bottom is going to be. But uh, if you assume that the, it's going to go to equilibrium, which is $25 a barrel, um, that essentially means for, you know, investors out there and, and so on that, that any oil that cannot compete at 25 will be stranded. So what that means is that deep water oil will be stranded right away and forever. Um, uh, shale oil is going to be stranded. Anything that can compete at 25. Um, and sands, of course, is going to be stranded um, because it can't compete at 25. So, and that's going to happen in the early 2020s, 2021, 2022. Uh, so there's going to be trillions of dollars of assets that, um, you know, may be stranded uh, quickly. I mean, we're talking about three, four years from now. Mm -hmm. And um, um, and this has implications along the value chain, of course. Right. Um, you know, if, if, if because it's not just that oil, but it's also all the assets associated with it. It's the pipelines, it's the refineries, um, and so on and so forth. So um, it, it, it's going to be a, a pretty massive disruption of, of, of the oil industry that's going to be caused by the disruption of, of, of transportation. So, Tony, I want to I want to back up a little bit, and and I, I do want to return to to the specific uh, work and the forecasts you've made. But you know, historically, the the ability to forecast disruption or anticipate disruption is uh, you know is, has eluded experts. And I think you've done quite a bit of work where you uh, have highlighted in the past how how disruption can come really quickly. Why is it that uh, that experts or forecasters in, in different industries, and, and we, we can uh, pull a couple of examples from history pretty easily around photography and, and automobiles of the past, you know, why is it that, that it's, it, people have had such a, a difficult time, uh, not so much anticipating that disruption will come, but anticipating the, the, really the speed and magnitude uh, of disruption? Yeah, so uh, from a corporate perspective, uh, even when you anticipate that it's coming, so, you know, the, the classic example of Kodak, uh, Kodak invented digital imaging. They knew that it was coming. They knew how quickly it was coming. They had invested billions of dollars into developing uh, digital camera systems and so on. 
Um, and yet they were disrupted by their own invention, um, not because they didn't know it was coming, not because they didn't know how quickly it was coming, but because um, culturally they were not able to, to pivot to a new business model because disruptions bring, uh, in many cases, new metrics, new business models. Uh, and it's hard for these corporations to pivot into the new uh, culture and business models and metrics that, that come with the, with the disruption. From the experts and analysts' uh, perspective, it's usually um, that they make linear predictions. Everything is linear. I mean, even now uh, that we know a lot more about disruption, um, you see a lot of these predictions, say from the Energy uh, Information Agency, from the International Energy Agency, from you know Wall Street uh, mainstream analysts, and they're usually linear. And 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 you know they say, oh, last year. Uh, there were half a million electric vehicles sold. If you grow that by, you know, pull a number out of a hat, 35% per year, then you're going to get whatever, you know, 35% penetration by 2040. And in reality, um, disruptions and, and technology adoption itself never uh, is a linear progression ever. I mean, technology adoption happens in S-curves. Once you hit the tipping point, it accelerates. It accelerates and it basically wipes out the market in months or in a few years. And so main experts and mainstream analysts fail to um, see the S-curve that it's going to accelerate and wipe out the, the existing uh, industry. And a lot of that is... Um, you know, that they work with Excel spreadsheets that only do, uh, you know, these lines, right? Um, and and they don't do the, the, the system dynamics. I mean, technology adoption has feedback loops, positive and negatives. Uh, they have network effects. I mean, once your neighbor adopts something, then you adopt it and then that feeds on itself and, and, and so on. Once platforms, for instance, uh, operating systems, the more users you have, the more uh, developers you get. And and, and, and and so it feeds, that's a positive feedback loop. Um, and of course, the incumbents get into a negative feedback loop, and that happens exponentially. Um, so mainstream analysts uh, and experts fail to uh, see that, to 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 put that into their um, their, their their models and and failing to uh, to 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 look at the S curves, essentially is a failure to anticipate disruptions. Right. So, in 2014, when you you know when you released Clean Disruption of Energy and Transportation, I mean that was a it was a really interesting time for you to be making those predictions because uh, you had based your work on the analysis of cost curves around solar, uh, batteries, electric vehicles. Tesla was really just you know starting to hit its stride, and uh, as you know as you're making your predictions, I think there was you got some pushback from people who were skeptical of your uh, of your forecasts. Uh, but in, in the intervening years, I think what's happened is that this your your that your framework has been very much validated. Um, could you provide a bit of color, at least on on what how you had initially envisioned this this combinatorial 
uh, evolution or this combinatorial disruption, and particularly addressing the on the energy side. And and you know at Momenta, you know we're we're pretty we we hold the we hold energy. It's 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 very close to our uh, our hearts as well. And and understanding that the changes, um, you know how how have how is how have has the industry evolved uh, uh, when you look back at your original predictions and when you see some of the uh, the original pushback or the original uh, I guess objections to your to your predictions you know how 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 has that played out in the in the interim uh, beautifully um, so uh, what I did was both create a new framework and when I made the predictions, I also provided the formula um, so that um, I, you know, told my audiences and told the world, look, this is how I'm uh, doing the forecast. This, these are the cost curves. So at the time I said um, the cost of lithium ion batteries is uh, going down by about 16% per year. And so if you um, take that over the next three, five, seven, fifteen years. This is uh, what you're going to get. Uh, you're going to get a hundred dollars uh, per kilowatt hour by such a year and eighty by such a year. Now, if you don't believe it's going to be sixteen percent, if you believe it's going to be ten percent, then you can bake that into your own model. So I provided not just a forecast, but the framework that 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 people could put into their own models to test it, to test whether, um, you know, I was going to be right or not right. Um, and it turned out that I have been right. And in fact, it has turned out that, for instance, for lithium-ion batteries, uh, it has accelerated. I mean, a lot of pushback at the time, four years ago, was that 16% improvement in the cost of lithium-ion batteries that's insane. That's not going to happen. And, um, you know, well, they were right. It's been 20%. And uh, so even faster than I had uh, said at the time. And that's not surprising for me, but um, essentially, so I provided both the, the forecast and the framework so that folks could put in their own um, numbers and test it. And, and I would, and many of my presentations saying, um, what you should do is, is come back, is have some, some group to test it. I mean, come back in six months and see how my forecasts are doing and come back in, um, in, in, in nine months and in 12 months and see how I'm doing. And if I'm on the money, then there is some, something there, right? And it turns out that, that, um, I have been right on the money. I mean, I predicted uh, four years ago that by this time, February of, of, of 2018, that the market would offer unsubsidized electric vehicles with 200 mile plus range in the 35 to $40,000 range. Um, and of course, you know, a lot of folks thought that I was insane. And guess what? We have two already with many more announced for the rest of this year. So, um, you know, again, part of what I did is provi provide both the framework in a way that folks could test it, it, it you know, in a scientific way. I, I seldom said, you know, trust me. In fact, I don't say that. Um, but I provided a way that people... Uh, scientific method in which they could test 
the hypothesis. And maybe if they thought that, or they had better information and they thought that it would accelerate, um, then they could bake that into their own models. And, and so that made a big difference. And as the years went by and um, um, my numbers for solar and for, you know, batteries and for EVs and so on have proven to be right, then um, they're paying more attention. Essentially, that has changed the whole narrative uh, about how quickly this disruption is going to happen, that this is not a an energy transition, that this is an energy, that this is a disruption, both energy and transportation. Um, and uh, yeah, and that's because I was totally open in terms of how I was coming up with these models. Yeah, I thought that was, it was, you were always uh, very open about uh, test about uh, any questioning of your assumptions. I you had built a very transparent framework, and I thought that was what made the message really compelling. Was that it was it, you? You certainly didn't have to take it or leave it. People could uh, people could test it on their own, and and I, it it has been pretty remarkable how uh, a lot of these predictions have uh, have unfolded now. I want to move a, a bit forward to the work that you've been doing around Rethink X because you took the yes. the the dis, you know the disruption thesis and then you apply you took it another stage uh, deeper by looking at autonomy and this whole concept of transportation as a service and and you and James were were very very kind to let me you know take a look at at your underlying assumptions and and the. Uh, and really, the math behind your uh, your calculations, and, and I have to say, I was it was very hard. I mean, I really tried to poke holes in it, and you you all have had really thought up through a lot of these implications. So, um, could you talk a bit about you know what where that work has led you in terms of your um, in terms of your conclusions and the predictions? But also, I'm gonna, you know, I, I'd like to, I'd like to go a little bit downstream because you thought about the the implications for uh, yes. not just business and government, but but also society going forward. And, and yes. this, I think, is what's really the most interesting part and, and the most interesting aspect of the work. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, you know, and thanks for the for for the feedback, participating in that in in that uh, uh, work. I. Uh, so so yeah so we took the, the the disruption of transportation that I had uh, been working on and we took it uh, a step further actually deeper uh, and broader and what we said was okay so it's been three years um, and so we have new numbers and new um, uh, discoveries and, and new things have been happening and accelerating. Um, so let's do a deeper dive into how this disruption of transportation is going to happen. And essentially what we discovered in, in that process was that the convergence, so, you know, a lot of companies had invested in autonomous technology. We had 40 companies, 40 plus companies and, um, you know, Google and Tesla and, and any number of companies uh, were uh, way down the road in, in, no pun intended, in in autonomous technology. And so we made the assumption that um, uh, the moment that the uh, that autonomous technology was going to happen was 2021. Um, and that's because, again, of many of the cost curves for LiDAR, for supercomputing power, for GPUs, um, we knew that 
a lot better uh, last year than we know it, than I know it four or five years ago. And so we made, uh, when we did the convergence of um, autonomous um, ride hailing, so Uber and Lyft and DD and so on had uh, gained a huge market share by that time. I mean, 20% of all the vehicle miles traveled in San Francisco are Uber and Lyft. And, and, you know, these are companies that did not exist 10 years ago. And that's at today's prices. And so we did, when we did the numbers uh, on the convergence of these three things, uh, essentially that's how we came up with the number, that the, the, the idea that um, by 2021, transportation as a service, which essentially means on demand, autonomous and electric was going to be a tenth of the cost of um, of transportation of owning your car and um, and and you know 2021 I mean that's around the corner that was uh, not something that I hadn't put that number in in clean disruption but you know we we, we, we had a lot more data to put that together and and um, we discovered a lot more things about EVs themselves. I mean, EVs last 500,000 miles against 140,000 miles for, or 200 for, for internal combustion engine vehicles. And so when, when, when you bake those numbers into um, our models, um, essentially what, what we came up with is deeper, faster, uh, or actually, the you know the computer models came up with a, this deeper, faster disruption uh, that would start 2021. Uh, essentially, it would tip 2021. It has already started, um, and essentially by 2039, 95% of all miles will be autonomous, electric, and on demand. And it validated many of the things that I had previously said in clean disruption. Um, and what we added, as you mentioned, uh, and which is the reason that I started RethinkX, is not just to forecast disruption. I had proved that I can do that uh, fairly accurately. It was, um, what are the implications to for the whole supply chain um, and of course for society and what are the choices that society will need to make to uh, take advantage of the upside while also mitigating the downside. So um, one when the concept of um, in, individual ownership of cars goes away, which essentially our model says it's going to go away because of purely economic reasons. Um, essentially, that means that um, dealerships are going to go away. Um, mechanics are going to go away also because electric vehicles only have 20 moving parts as opposed to gasoline vehicles, which have 2000 plus moving parts. So electric vehicles don't need uh, the kind of maintenance that um, internal combustion engine vehicles need and so on and so on, right? So we did the analysis down the value chain and we forecast that, for instance, by 2025, dealerships are going to disappear. Mechanics are going to disappear by and large. Um, gas stations are going to disappear. And that's because of the disruption. So we were um, very, we went very much deeper uh, and we went 
back the value chain. And what does this mean for society? What this means is that we're going to have oh drivers, of course, driver jobs, because it's all going to be autonomous, are going to go away. Not all at once, but it's going to happen very quickly. Um, so we're going to have, you know, seven, eight million folks who are going to be out of work in the United States within uh, a fairly short number of years. Uh, so we need to mitigate that um, um, that downside of the disruption. The upside is huge. It's that you know every American family is going to save about six thousand dollars a year um, by using transport as a service as opposed to by owning a car. Six thousand a year is huge. I mean, half of American families have less than a thousand dollars in savings. Half. I mean, half of American families are a month away from, you know, homelessness, if if you will. So, um, you know, six thousand a year forever, pretty much. Savings is a huge boost to consumer spending. One trillion dollar boost um, at the macroeconomic level for 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 the GDP in America, um, and that goes to our pockets. I mean, that's not something that goes to Google or whoever is going to win, uh, whoever corporate is going to win, that goes down to, you know, the American family's pocket. Of course, there's another trillion dollars in, in, in additional by we not driving and by we, um, you know, nurses can nurse and doctors can doctor and consultants can consult and so on while we not drive. That's an additional trillion dollars in GDP gains. So, you know, there are two trillion at least in GDP gain for the United States, um, which is huge. But of course, there's a downside. And so the choices that a society, as a society, we need to make are pretty clear. Uh, we need to enable this disruption uh, because it's going to be a huge boost to American families. Um, but we also, and we also need to mitigate the downside for um, the millions who are going to be um, jobless because every disruption leaves folks without a job. And we need to provide education and financial uh, support and, 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 and healthcare support and so on while they make a transition to new jobs and new industries. So mm. we were looking down the value chain to what the implications for society uh, would be. Cities are going to be massively transformed. I mean, um, when we have... Uh, now, with the individual ownership model of transportation, we use cars 4% of the time. Um, when you have, you know, imagine Uber, electric and autonomous, and they use them 40% of the time. That means that about 80 or 90% of parking spaces are going to be unused. They're going to be obsolete. So we're, that in many cities is about a third of the land mass of many American cities. I mean, Fort Worth is 40% parking. Um, 80% of that, you, know, you get that a third of Fort Worth is going to be empty. Uh, Los Angeles is two thirds parking and roads. So, you know, they're going to have a massive desert in the, not in the middle, but uh, a lot of land available. Um, and so from a social perspective, we have a choice to make. What are we going to do with that third of the city that's going to be empty. Uh, are we going to have green parks? 
Are we going to have businesses? Are we going to have affordable housing? And those are the types of choices that, that we need to make. And, and that's what RethinkX is, is all about. It's um, analyze the disruption, what the implications are down the value chain, and also what the choices that we need to make as a society um, to essentially take advantage of the upside and, and mitigate the downside. And we're doing this across the industries, by the way. Transportation was just the first one. Um, we're currently uh, doing energy, and that's essentially, you know, clean disruption 2.0. Um, and uh, we're doing agriculture. So food is going to be massively disrupted. And this is not something that is in the, in, in, you know, in the public uh, conversation. Food is going to be massively disrupted. Uh, healthcare uh, is going to be disrupted and so on. So, um, and this is going to be a set of disruptions that are going to go on in parallel. Um, and they're going to be huge both quantitatively and qualitatively. And I'll tell you what, what I mean by that. Um, energy is going to be 10 times cheaper. Transportation is going to be 10 times cheaper. Um, so that's quantitatively. Qualitatively, in the sense that we're not going to, most energy is going to be generated locally with solar and batteries and so on and wind. It's not going to be generated out there somewhere by central generating stations. Um, so essentially, uh, this is, a, if you will, a disruption from the edge. Communities are going to be um, more resilient uh, because they're going to be able to generate their own energy. They're going to be able to store it and they're going to be able to use it in, in, in electric vehicles and so on. So um, that's the qualitative part. And the same thing is going to happen with food. Uh, where essentially many of the disruptions that um, are coming into food, the disruption of the cow, the disruption of um, agriculture itself and so on, that what that means is that production uh, uh, generation of a lot of the products and services that are generated out there somewhere now are going to be locally generated. So that's the qualitative part. So um, things are going to be massively cheaper and also they're going to be by and large generated locally. Um, and that essentially means that the institutions that we have now and the the governance systems that we have now and even the, 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 the investment theses that we have now are going to change dramatically. We're going to need new forms of, um, uh, you know, what I call a, a new operating system for humanity uh, mm -hmm. because the, many of the metrics and the organizations and the uh, institutions that we have now are not built for this new world that we're going to have. And, and this new world is happening now. I mean, basically, we're talking 2030. We're not talking 2100. We're talking 2030. Uh, right. and, 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 and yeah, so that's what we're doing at RethinkX. Um, and, um, hope, you know, we're going to put out reports and papers over the following year in, in all of these industries that I mentioned. 
So this is, it really is uh, just a, this comprehensive uh, refactoring and, and reimagination of, of the future is, uh, it, it's, it is pretty profound. And I, I would agree with you that we haven't ever seen this, this confluence of powerful transformative technologies that are, uh, that are hitting exponential impact at, at, at this, at this, at the same time. And, and you combine energy and transportation and robotics and, and AI and medicine and, and uh, even innovations like blockchain and, and decentralized, decentralized organizations. It, it is, it is pretty amazing. So, what you've talked about really cuts to a lot of the the, the work that you know that we're doing uh, at at Momenta, which is helping really trying to envision a connected future. This you know the concept of of uh, transportation as a service and the and the the way cities are going to be rethinking their their public spaces and um, how how we create these systems that are connected in the future are it's going to it's going to transform as well the the existing businesses um, and in a sense it's that uh, that shift from product to service and it's a business model shift it's 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 also a mindset shift you know as you as you look forward i, I mean what what advice do you give to uh, to businesses and manufacturers that are that are uh, particularly auto manufacturers, but also um, the energy companies that you're talking to. I'll just want to I just want to choose those two because I know we could we could dive into this for, yeah. for, for weeks. But you know, when you look at those two, what 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 advice do you give them when they are looking at at the disruption ahead of them and and how they how they can apply the technologies most beneficial beneficially to uh to, to really navigate and affect a uh a win-win transition to to the extent that that's possible yeah what i what, what i tell them is is is, is um uh, interestingly I, I i tell them look you have the advantage i mean the 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 the, the you know, you have the power, no pun intended. Um, you know, uh, utilities now have a relationship with millions of customers. And when you look at um, the, 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 the highest cost in installed uh, solar, for instance, uh, the highest costs are not photovoltaics. Photovoltaics is so cheap. I mean, it's, 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 you know, nearly free. I mean, um, uh, compared to the cost of customer acquisition and compared to the cost of capital, for instance. And utilities now um, have the relationship with the customer. So, uh, you know, they can, they can take advantage of that uh, to, to build the, the solar infrastructure. Um, and they also have a, today, they have a low cost of capital. Um, that's not going to last two or three years. In three years, the world will be massively different. I mean, the tipping point for these disruption, uh, both energy and transport, is going to be 2020, 2021. So we're not that far away. Uh, so they have the advantage right now. Um, you know, auto companies, uh, no manufacturing very well. Um, you know, a lot of the disruptors, um, you know, have never built a, uh, you know, a factory before and manufactured hardware before. And so, you know, the incumbents have uh, advantages in terms of brand, in terms of um, uh, access to capital, in terms of um, the ability to manufacture and so on. Um, so they can take advantage of that. 
and be the disruptor um, rather than, than, than be disrupted. And so that's what I tell them. You, right now, at this point in time, you have the advantage, but you have to, you're in an existential crisis also, meaning um, that this is not going to, uh, this advantage is not going to last forever. It's only going to last a year or two. And if you don't take advantage and become the disruptor, um, essentially you're out of business. The whole business model you're in is going to go away and it's going to happen very quickly. And so, uh, you know, I give them the good news and the bad news, right? And, and if, if, if you're willing to, to disrupt your business model and your, uh, the way that you've done business for 100 years, instead of resisting, which a lot of utilities and car companies and so on are resisting, um, then you can be one of the winners. Um, and it's going to be a new business model and it's going to be a new set of metrics and so on. Um, but you can, you can take advantage because now you can anticipate the disruption. And um, so that's, the, that's the, the, the advice that I give them. Well, that, and I think that's that's advice really that's operative for for people in almost any industry. So, uh, in particular, and that that idea of innovation from the edge is uh, certainly certainly close to close to close to my heart. And the uh, the, the empowerment of uh, production and value creation, really from the source and the ability to to rethink industries is is it's. I mean, it really is an amazing amazing time to be around and and uh and that we all have an opportunity to shape all of this we um, do we do it's it's a great yes it, it, we all do and and you know one thing that i tell the utilities for instance to 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 challenge their thinking a little bit is imagine that kilowatt hours are free that the cost of energy is free um how would you make money if kilowatt hours were free um, so essentially that's your challenge. You need to think about new business models uh, because in the future, energy is going down in cost so dramatically, uh, you're not gonna be able to, to, to build uh, huge businesses with just kilowatt hours. And, and so, you know, if they can get over the, 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 the idea that kilowatt hours are gonna be free, uh, or close to free, um, then they're in a good position to to be, you know, survivors and disruptors. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, uh, listen, I'd like to. I always like to wrap up my conversations with people, uh, and as you know, as usual. Tony, your your insights are, are provocative and and thoughtful and uh, really invigorating too. Because I think you you know you you leave people with a sense of optimism, but also a sense of realism as well. That uh, the change is not going to be uh, without some uh, some bumps along the road, and it, it's uh, it, it can be quite messy, but. But looking to the other side, I think there are some uh, some just amazing benefits that uh, you know that'll accrue to all of us. And and I was just wondering, just to ask, I like to ask people for recommendations of a of a resource or um, a recommendation that you could provide for you know for listeners that you know that 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 you like to share with people. Yeah. Um, so first, my pitch: uh, go to rethinkx.com, and the, the there's a number. In, uh, all the stuff that we produce is free. You can download 
or rethinking transportation report. You can download everything for free. Um, it's even in Chinese now. Um, now, having said that, um, you know, I wanna I wanna um, recommend a book that is is far from energy and transportation, um, but not from disruption. I'm re reading a book called Paper by Mark Kurlansky, hmm. and um, Kurlansky is is, is 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 a great writer and, and, and a great storyteller. But um, you know, he tells the history of paper um, in, in 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 a beautiful way and. Um, of course, I'm an author and I'm interested in and so on. But also um, one of the interesting things that I find is um, the, the, the printing press, uh, the connection between the uh, between the invention of paper itself um, and the printing press disruption in Europe, the Gutenberg uh, disruption and so on uh, comes alive pretty uh, pretty well in, in in this book, even though I don't think it was his intent. Uh, it's it's a it, it's a great book, no matter what. Uh, but but paper is something that we see every day, we touch every day, but we don't think about very much. Um, and and it comes alive in this book. So paper by Mark Kurlansky. That's that's a terrific recommendation. So um, listen, it's been it's been great to have you on this on this podcast. And I, I know that uh, you know for all the people that have uh, that have tuned in and, and listened here to the end, uh, I I was going to give a plug for your for your report, and you you did that. But I would also recommend going back and and uh, picking up Tony's original uh, book on on clean disruption, uh, which is available. Um, we'll post a link to it in the show notes, but. Um, um, Tony, it's it's as always. I think we're you know it, it's amazing to to be able to see these uh, these predictions and these theses uh, play out. And I know that you you stick your neck out there and you put you, you put dates and real numbers behind your prediction. And uh, you know that takes a lot of guts, but it's also backed up with a lot of a lot of work there. And uh, it I think we all are, we're at least for the last couple of years, we've been kind of laughing and it's, it's really gratifying to see all of this, uh, this play out. So um, at, if all of what you had talked about or even a fraction of it plays out over the next few years, I think we've got some, uh, some, some amazing times ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Ed. Yeah, it has been gratifying. Thank you. And thanks for your um, kind words and uh, always happy to be on your show. Thank you for what you do. All right. Terrific. And, and thanks everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast. We rely on feedback, comments, and input from our listeners. So please interact with us by going to our LinkedIn page, our Twitter accounts, or email us at edge at momenta.partners with any suggestions, guest ideas, or commentary. We really value your input and appreciate your listening. Thanks a lot. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners.